Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. From Luminary, this is Karamo, a podcast. Hey friends, welcome to Karamo. I'm your friend Karamo. And this interview, we are going to be focusing on and talking about motherhood. Which, as a single dad, I can honestly say being a mother is the hardest job ever. And I respect all mothers out there and bow down to you. So before we even start this interview, I want to say to all the mothers out there, I see you and I know you're doing your best and your best is enough. So listen, friends, today I'm going to be speaking with actress Sarah Wayne Callis, star of Walking Dead and NBC's Council of Dads, who's going to open up about the internal and external judgments that come with motherhood postpartum depression, adopting a child outside of your race, and raising a child that is gender nonconforming. So without further ado, let's start talking and growing. Hey, friends! So I am super excited to be talking and growing with the one, the only, Sarah Wayne Callis. Hey, Sarah, how are you doing? Hello! Thank you so much for having me. I love what you do in the world. It makes me happy. Thank you. It is, it is a mutual love fest. I ain't going to lie to you. <laughs> I ain't going to lie to you. Your journey to motherhood is something that I think a lot of people relate to. I saw a blog post that was so open and so transparent where you talked about experiencing postpartum depression. For anybody who's out there who doesn't know what postpartum depression is, can you give them a brief explanation from your point of view? Sure, it's hell. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I mean, you better break it down. Easy, it is hell. It's just hell. <laughs> H-E double hockey sticks. I wrote that blog post because I've been hearing from a lot of people on social media um, who were brave enough to share their journeys through mental health challenges with me. And I realized that they were sharing those challenges with me thinking that it was a one-way street, that, you know, they were struggling and I was, I'd always been okay. And I was like, hmm, it might be useful to just sort of put out there that I wasn't okay for a long time. I never got diagnosed with anything. Um, I was too afraid to go to a doctor or a psychiatrist because I was afraid that they would put me in an insane asylum and take away my baby. Like that's the place I was at in my head. From what I've read, I think actually possibly what I had was postpartum anxiety, which is sort of the other side of that coin. Starting a few weeks after I delivered my oldest, which I did at home with a midwife, which was an amazing experience, I felt this cloud descend. 
And that's such an understatement for the way it felt. But I literally had tunnel vision. Like I couldn't really see properly. I, you know, I would be terrified of everything. Everything scared me. And the problem is explaining these things, it's hard because it's not a logical process. It's not a rational process. A few months into it, it got to the point where I was waking up every morning and praying to die. I did not want to hurt my kid. And I wasn't suicidal. I never thought of taking my own life. But I would wake up and think, dear God, if there is any compassion for me out there, please just end my life before I have to do this another day. Yeah. You know, the weird thing about mental health issues is that when you have them, you don't have the perspective to realize you have them. I did say early on to a few people, my husband, my mom, I don't think I'm right, but I'm an actor. And I was so embarrassed of the way I was feeling that I was acting fine. And I guess it was enough of a convincing performance that, you know, when I'd say that to someone, they'd go, no, you look, you know, it's hard at the beginning, but you're, you're doing great. And I'd go, yeah, okay. And then one day, I literally bumped into this guy in the street in Montreal and he just kind of looked at me and he said, you know, are you okay? And I got super defensive because I didn't know this guy. And I don't remember what I said to him. It was probably really rude. And he said, I'm a naturopath and you look like you're on the verge of breaking down to me. And I was so pissed. <laughs> and I just like walked away. Yeah. And then I found myself at my chiropractor's office a couple months later, weeks later in LA. And I told him the story. And he looked at me and he said, do you know you're crying right now? And I said, what? No, I'm fine. And he just went, oh, Sarah, I could have helped you a long time ago if I'd known. Mm. And he put me back together. You know, I mean, it was probably four to six weeks yeah. from that point. You know, he gave me a bunch of herbs. He put needles in me. But I think my oldest was almost two before I really got my head into the place of feeling like myself and feeling like I was not fucking up the entire process of motherhood. One of the things that you said that I that stood out was I was embarrassed of the way I was feeling, which is such a powerful statement because I think that there's not enough space given to women and to mothers, new mothers, to express exactly what they're feeling because I think about every time one of my girlfriends or someone in my family has a child, the immediate is everyone must be happy. Right. This must be the most joyous time in your life. Everything is fine. Everything is great. Right. When you bombard somebody with all of these happy emotions, it doesn't leave space for them to say, I'm feeling stressed. I'm feeling anxiety. I'm feeling a myriad of emotions because everyone's expecting you to be on. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's this baby industrial complex, right? I mean, the first thing it does is it makes us choose between pink and blue every step of the way in a way that I just feel like the more friends I have in the non-binary community, yeah. the more I'm like, can we stop already? Can we just, <laughs> can we knock it off? With that? Because can we stop this right now? People. Yeah. Can we just stop this? Can we just agree right now? Like, but you know, it's all of this happy ponies and rainbows. Congratulations. This is amazing. And of course, there's a part of that. But there's also like taking responsibility for a human life is giant. It's a far greater commitment than getting married. You're not getting out of this one, parenthood. Your kid's going to get sick and your kid's going to get bullied or your kid could be a bully, which I think is actually almost worse. You know, your kid's going to struggle. They're going to have their heart broken. They're going to be pissed at you. There is a dark side to parenting that I think 
if we fail to embrace it, then we're not going to be the kind of parents that our kids deserve. Yeah. It's in some ways, one of the simplest expressions of how ridiculous the whole thing is, is our maternity leave. I think California labor law gives women between eight and 12 weeks unpaid before we're expected to go back to work. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so to review, (laughs) (laughs) you just grew a human and you're trying to figure out how to feed the human exclusively from your breasts, (laughs) which sucks. Yes. I mean, literally and figuratively, (laughs) but like, that's a tough process. And then you're supposed to give yourself between two and three months off and be like, check, I'm golden at this. Now I'm going to go back and work a full-time job. We can do better. (laughs) We can do better. A lot better. I don't think people hear this side, the fears of what it is to be a parent. Those are things that I'm not a woman, but I feel as a father. You know, something I say consistently in the world is I believe that the closest thing we have to God or a God on earth are women. And it blows my mind that we don't pay attention to women as we would, you know, you go into church every Sunday and you're like, oh, praise God. And I'm like, but then you have this godlike figure right here. And I'm like, you don't want to respect and love and honor this like it should be because praise the ladies. you can't bring life into this world and you can't do half the things that this being, wonderful being as a woman can do. And so it is absurd that you have created life, grown life, are feeding life. And then it's like, oh, by the way, if you haven't figured it out or even if you have, don't care. Get back to work or you can't afford life. Exactly. It's just ridiculous. You know, something that I thought that was interesting is that you said, yeah, of course, you didn't want to get diagnosed, because, which is your personal choice because you thought they would, you know, think you were crazy or you're going to harm your baby and take your baby away, that you went a holistic route. Can you tell me about that route to deal with the postpartum depression or anxiety that you were experiencing? Yeah. There was a guy in LA when I was living there who was a practitioner of acupuncture, traditional Chinese medicine, herbs, and uh, sports medicine. He said to me that, you know, in Chinese medicine, there's kind of a whole protocol for the first months or year of a woman's life after she delivers. Baked into Chinese medicine is an understanding that your body goes through something extraordinary and that it would necessarily need help to restore balance. Yes. Whereas in Western medicine, I think we tend to wait until there is a crisis and then try and patch it up. Mm-hmm. And I really, I'd never gotten acupuncture before. Uh, I don't like needles, but I was desperate. And I was like, dude, you can shoot me in the face if you want. Like, I don't care. <laughs> Whatever you need to do to make this better, <laughs> you do it. I mean, four to six weeks and I was feeling that fog lift which is as long as it would take, you know, some kind of pharmaceutical. I was incredibly grateful. And throughout my life now, my oldest is 12. I've gone back to acupuncture and Chinese medicine a few times, you know, for balance and stuff. I, when I adopted my son, um, I went through this whole relactation protocol so that I could nurse him. And that was a beautiful journey, but also one that kind of did a number on my hormones again. And so I went back to my acupuncturist to kind of grab some balance again after I weaned my son. So I'm a huge fan of it. I've never heard a woman could start breastfeeding again if they weren't through, and this could just be my ignorance, but this is the beauty of like this podcast and trying to educate. What was that process for you when you did adopt your son to then be able to breastfeed him as his adopted mother? You know, it's funny. I don't think I realized how hard it was supposed to be, which is probably good. I went to my midwife who had delivered my oldest and I told her, I was like, look, you know, we're 
going through this adoption process, we were paired up with my son's birth mom when she was, I think, seven months pregnant. I was like, so I got a few months. But I had read that during the Holocaust in the concentration camps, there were babies. Um, and sometimes their mothers were killed. And other women who were not their biological mothers would start lactating to feed the babies. Wow. In the early modern era, there were, you know, wet nurses and stuff. And so I ran this by my midwife and I was like, so is it possible? She goes, yeah, it's possible. And you've already nursed a baby. So, you know, your body's got all the equipment that it needs. She put me on some herbs and then she was like, you got to pump every two hours. I was like, for how long? She's like, as long as it takes. So eight weeks of that, there was some comedy moments because at one point I like was stuck in traffic and it had been two hours and I was like, all right. So I like put on a big hoodie and like, as I'm driving stuck on the 405, I'm like pumping under my shirt. <laughs> it was, motherhood is not a glamorous occupation and it's not for the faint of heart. Exactly. It's like, look, you got to do what you got to do. It was crazy. Why did you make the decision to breastfeed instead of doing formula? Well, we ended up supplementing with formula as well. Breast milk is incredibly healthy. It's a perfect food. And I thought my body liked producing it before. Let's do this again. And I wanted to be able to say to my son, I fed you from my body. I am not biologically your mother. We are not the same race. No one's going to look at us and go, they must be related. I will say too, like if you ever want to learn something about race in America, as a white woman living in Georgia, nursing a little black baby in public, you learn a lot of things about race in America, at least at these things that like, as a white woman who grew up in Hawaii, which is a very different place from race relations in the American South, there were moments where my son and I were in Atlanta together that I was like, hey, buddy, we are a fascinating social experiment right now. And everybody has an opinion. <laughs> um, what, what was happening during that time? Please describe. We were so visible. Everybody had an opinion. And some of it was thumbs up and some of it was, I don't understand this. And some of it was thumbs down. So one day, I mean, he was, I mean, weeks old at this point, we were in Whole Foods and this older black woman came up to me and just started talking. I didn't know her. And she just goes, what are you using on his skin? I said, I'm sorry, excuse me. Because older black women have that thing where like, if they're talking to you, you just, you adopt your like kind, respectful listening attitude, right? Like, yes. I was like, I'm being spoken to by someone who deserves to be listened to. Yes. I don't know you, <laughs> but that's how this is going to go. Yeah. So she goes, what are you using on his skin? And I was like, oh, I'm infusing olive oil with lavender oil. And she looks at me and she goes, he's not a pizza. I said, okay. And she took me by the arm and she pulled me over to the shea butter section. And she was like, this is what you use. And I was like, well, I'm from Hawaii. I'm kind of more comfortable with coconut oil. And she was like, I didn't ask you what you were comfortable with. I was like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> and I took the shea butter and I put it in my cart. You know, that wouldn't happen <laughs> if it weren't a white mom and a brown baby Yeah. in the South. It was kind of amazing. And like, it was coming from love and it was a sort of beautiful sense of community. But I just, I was like, we're so visible. Yeah. Were there white people that came across the two of you that were uncomfortable? And how did you deal with that? There were a few white people whose response was, why didn't you want a white baby was the way that was the underlying question. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, it was a fascinating moment because a fair number of those were from people that I knew. And I was like, oh, I'm seeing something in you that I didn't know. I think part of it is that people felt that they were entitled to an answer 
you know what I mean? Like when you see a non-adoptive family, nobody goes, well, why did you have this baby? Yeah. Right. There's no, nobody, for instance, goes, why didn't you adopt? Which is a reasonable question, right? Like the planet's overpopulated, our environment's stressed. It would make sense to walk up to, you know, a heterosexual couple and be like, why didn't you adopt? Why did you add the burden to the world? Why did you feel that you needed a baby that looked like you? But we don't do that. The, the, the question came in the opposite side. When you adopted, did you find that there were personal questions that would have been inappropriate had you just, you know, been like a straight guy who had a baby with his wife? hundred percent. I mean, there was, first of all, questions similar to you with this woman or with anyone who, you know, whether black or white, people would come up to me and think, um, because I then became the sole parent. Once I once I adopted, I, I was a single father. So there was no partner at all, male. I, there was, I wasn't in a relationship. And also their mother was not involved in that way. So it was very much like, well, you can't, you must not know how to do this. There's, there's no woman in there. <laughs> and, and then it, and then it was also, well, you're not in exposing them to like, you know, which I hate this term, the gay lifestyle. And I'm like, what, what, what do you, what do you think I'm having <laughs> circuit sex parties in the living room while they're playing Nintendo? I think like, right. what do you think is going on in my house while you're asking me these weirdly entitled and inappropriate questions about my capabilities or questioning my love or my ethics when it comes to raising my children, whether my biological or my adopted child, it, 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 would, it blew my mind some of the things that people said or did not say, but I could feel, mm. you know, which is, you know, staring when we walked into a room or uh -huh. I remember when they were very younger questioning, like, are you okay? Is there something you need? But it was not just the normal you do with a kid. It was sort of as if like, here's your opportunity, kid, to tell me that you're you're not okay. Like, it, it, like as if they're trying to prompt them to get something. Like, what you said is very true. When you have children who are, quote unquote, different than you, whether it's racially, their gender identity. One of my kids at this moment is kind of shifting through different expressions of gender identity. And I have so much pride in that. Thank God this kid was born to me who can just go, great, let's shop for this. Let's do this. Let's read this. Let's watch this. But I'm also aware that there are parts of the world where you are not safe, my child. And that is terrifying. Yeah. How has what you've been through with having a child in your home that's outside of your race prepared you for this new journey you're going on with a child who does not identify with one gender? Oh, that's an interesting question. Part of it is that I grew up in Hawaii. Hawaii is a place without a racial majority. So we all grow up seeing a lot of people who are not like us. Yeah. Who have different foods in the home, different gods they pray to, different languages maybe spoken at home, different cultural traditions. And Hawaii's also, you know, because traditionally Hawaiian culture was a very inclusive one, Hawaii's not by and large a homophobic place. And so I grew up with a very extant gay community around me. And so I think my early experience of life was there's a whole bunch of ways to do this. And as long as you're not getting anybody's way or being unkind, have at it. When I came to the mainland, I was like, whoa, 
Y'all have different rules, and I don't like them. Mainland being the more, because for anybody, it's like when you come to the states off the island. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, the 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 forty eight that are not Alaska and Hawaii. It was just it was just a totally different culture. I never had a sense that like family has to look like you or act like you. You know, and this is very much like what Council of Dads is about, but it's also the family I grew up in. Like I had step parents, I had ex step parents, I had people who were not related to me, but we called each other's cousins. It was a very inclusive thing. I mean, the the relationship that taught me about love, my my parents' marriage was a war. The relationship that taught me about love was a colleague of my mom's named Joe and his partner Clifford. They had the most beautiful relationship of any that I ever saw. They're the ones that taught me about what commitment and devotion look like because during the AIDS epidemic, Joe died and Clifford's devotion to him was like Shakespearean. I mean, it was just, it was extraordinary. And so I don't think I've ever had a sense that my kids need to look like me or act like me. There are moments as a parent of wanting to prepare them for a world that will not be as safe. You know, part of our decision to raise our kids in Canada instead of the U.S. had to do with the number of Black men who were shot and killed and incarcerated in the U.S. And dealing with a sort of non-binary, gender non-conforming oldest, it's a similar sense of wanting to fill my child with pride in who they are and freedom in who they are while still layering in what do you do if you're someplace where people are not supportive? What do you do if people get aggressive? That balance between protecting them and nurturing them is a kind of daily walk. But it's also like, it's also a different world. You know, watching Joe die of AIDS was watching somebody die of a disease that was every bit as bad as the parts of society saying, well, you deserve this because you're gay. But now the generations of LGBTQ plus youth with like these amazing TikToks of like some kid in boys clothes will show up and like do a little dance, snap their fingers and then be in girls clothes and do a little dance. And like, there's this expression and exploration of gender fluid identity that even for kids who God love them are growing up in the most aggressively judgmental communities still exist online. So these kids know that they're not alone. I think that's different, you know? I don't know. I, you know what? I, I know I'm going on, but the last thing that I will say, because this is actually, I think, the most important, with both of my children and their respective identities that are different from me, I lean heavily on community. I lean heavily on my friends who are living those identities to go, what am I missing? What do I need to know? What do I need to read? Can you get on the phone with my kid? Will you be an uncle? Will you be a godparent? That's, that's hugely important, I think, for both kids. You know, the beauty of what your journey in motherhood has shown us as listeners, always being willing to know, first of all, that you're not alone, finding community and finding support. And I think that through line is such a beautiful through line because I don't think that mothers hear enough that... It's okay to ask for help. It doesn't make you any less of a mom. It doesn't make you any less of a woman. It, you deserve the support. You deserve the help. And, you know, if you're feeling emotions or you're feeling something that you don't understand, it doesn't make you a bad person. It's okay to 
ask for help from someone when you're ready. And if your child is experiencing something or is different from something you know, quote unquote different, it's okay to ask for help in community because that's what you have done. And it's it's a really important and beautiful lesson that you are living that I, I just hope that more people get that. You know, final question for you is, when you think of yourself as a mother, what words come to mind? Making it up as I go along. <laughs> <laughs> you better preach. <laughs> it's an improvisational business, parenthood. But you know what? Like, I think our kids are really lucky, yours and mine. I think they're really lucky because they're growing up with people who care enough to go to bed at the end of the day and go, did I do good enough today? What can I do better tomorrow? Mm. I think that's 90% of it as a parent. Show up, try and do better, apologize when you blow it. And just, you know, <laughs> we're just going to help each other. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, we're going to help each other through this. Yeah. I, it's very hard for me to make the world less sexist because the things that are said in private between men that form the root of sexism, that make women's bodies unsafe in the world, I'm not there for. But you can because you're a man. And so when you hear that kind of a thing, you can go, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Let's not use that word, yeah. <laughs> whatever that is. Yeah. And you might not be able to make the world a ton safer for black people because white people behave themselves by and large more when they feel that they could be caught out for saying something. But I hear it. And so I can make the world safer for you by going, stop, 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 stop. That's not language. That's not language that we're using, and here's why. And so I think there is this sense of interconnectedness, right? We can make the world safer for each other, and we can actually make the world safer for each other than we can make it for ourselves. And so if that's the takeaway from all of this, and if our kids get to grow up in a better place because of it, then hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I appreciate all the work that you do to make the world safer for not only your family, but people around the world, refugees, for the LGBTQIA plus community, for women, for everyone. Just thank you for what you do. I appreciate you so much. And everyone, please continue to support Sarah and all of her endeavors, but also check out her show, Council of Dads, which is really amazing. And thank you again so much for being here and being so open and transparent. Right on. Thank you so much for everything. Continued love and success to you. Friends, what a powerful and transparent conversation about motherhood. I want to thank Sarah for speaking with me and sharing her story. During this interview, we discussed an option for dealing with postpartum depression, a holistic route. But I want everyone to know that it's okay to seek support and treatment that work for you, whether it's holistic or with a traditional doctor. Also, about gender identity, I want to address that someone's gender is not based on their clothes. I know that was not what Sarah meant when sharing her child's experience, but I want to make sure that as friends, we understand that gender is a complex issue, not just black or white or boy and girl like we are taught. If you have questions about gender identity or want to support somebody through understanding their gender identity, I'll be providing a link where you can learn more. Listen, what I know to be true is that motherhood is hard, but also beautiful and rewarding. If you are a mother, I just want to say thank you for all that you do and stand for. I know many times it seems like you are alone, but you are not. We love you 
We want to support you and are here to cheer you on. Friends, as always, thank you for listening. Tell me what you think of today's episode by hitting me up on all my social medias, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Karamo. And until next time, friends, take care of yourself and each other. Karamo, a podcast, is an entertainment show. For advice or support on any emotional or mental challenges, please contact a licensed professional in your town. This show was produced by Karamo, Nick Pinella of Workhouse Media, and assisted by Ellie Charles. All music composed by Ernie Wooden and the Big Woozy Band, and all episodes are edited by Nathan Moody. Thank you for listening and growing with us. Hey, friends! Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>